0: I love ice cream, I love peanut butter and chocolate, chocolate fudge brownie, chocolate mint, pretty much chocolate. How many chocolate lovers do we have out there? Good, good. All right, how about some other flavors? Fair is fair. What are some other flavors you all like? Yes, yes. (laughs) Strawberry, very good, very good. Well, I bet you know this one, so let's complete this sentence all together. The world's most popular flavor of ice cream is... (laughs) In fact, vanilla isn't just the most popular, it's more than twice as popular as chocolate, go figure, uh, which is way more popular than strawberry and all the other flavors. Decade after decade, vanilla stands head and shoulders above all other flavors. Now, about a year ago, our our church took a survey Not about ice cream, but about spiritual growth. Hundreds of thousands of people took the same survey, and we learned a lot. One goal was to learn what's most effective for helping people grow spiritually. The researchers were stunned by the results. One thing stood head and shoulders above everything else when it comes to helping people grow spiritually. Other things are helpful— But nothing comes close to the Bible. In fact, spending time reflecting on Scripture is the most effective way to grow for everyone from the Christ-centered pillars of the church to folks who are still trying to figure out who Jesus is. Century after century, reflecting on the Bible stands head and shoulders above all other spiritual practices. And you knew this Our congregation said the most important thing you want from this church is to help you understand the Bible. And you want the church to challenge you to grow and take next steps. That's what you said. So today we're going to practice. We're going to practice one way of reflecting on Scripture. Let's try to find our story in the story of the wise men. Let's discover how their responses to God are not all that different from the ways we respond to God. Let's pray together. Jesus, help us as we reflect on your amazing scripture. Help us find ourselves in the people of this story and apply what we find to our own lives today. Amen. Well, the story of the wise men is a great story. Exotic heroes, interesting locations, supernatural events, a good dose of suspense, and a deadly conflict between two kings. All the people in the story revolve around Jesus. Jesus is portrayed as the true Messiah, born in Bethlehem, a king like David from the line of Judah, honored by Gentiles and savior of the world. Matthew suggests that Jesus is no longer a baby in a manger, but is now a child in a home, not yet two years old. So next year, when you unpack your nativity, you can read the nativity story to your family and quiz them on which figures weren't really at the nativity. Uh, They weren't there at the birth. I know families who have camels and wise men traipsing all over the house all during December. Uh, They just have to find Jesus before you put it away. So that's the trick. (laughs) That's today, epiphany. They can find him today. Well, Matthew isn't worried about all the details. He focuses us on two things. Who are these people and how do they respond to Jesus? So first, the wise men. Who were they? Well, scholars agree that these wise men or magi... Were a combination of astrologer and priest. They searched for answers to important religious questions, and they had a special regard, a special respect for the supernatural. Matthew doesn't say how many of them there were, and they almost certainly weren't kings. So, so much for we three kings. But, but they were from the East. Uh, And that detail from Matthew is a clue to what's important. The wise men were Gentiles who represent the whole non-Jewish world. They were the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that the Messiah would be recognized and honored by the nations. Although the Magi are outsiders to the Jewish people, they remind us that Jesus is the savior of the whole world. Well, that's who the wise men were. How did they respond To the light of God's revelation. What did they do when they saw the star? They followed the light. They acted on the revelation they had. See, the Magi observed the sky in pursuit of truth. They looked to creation for what they could find out about truth and even about God. When the star appeared, they looked to sacred writings and found more specific revelation in Jewish prophecy. See, hundreds of years before, God had sovereignly scattered his word throughout the Middle East during the Jewish exile. So when the star first appeared, the Magi searched for its meaning and humbly followed the truth they discovered. They accepted God's invitation to adventure, and they ultimately ended up worshiping Jesus. Despite being outsiders, their response was to follow and to worship with great joy. So now let's use our imaginations and practice reflecting on the Bible. Can you find your story in the Magi? When have you found yourself confronted with a truth you wanted to understand? Some here this morning have deep questions and are searching for answers. Or maybe you sense that God is leading you on an adventure, but you're not sure where you're going to end up. Maybe you believe God's word has the answers you need right now, but you need others to help you apply the Bible's guidance. Sometimes we can feel like an outsider. We sense something important is happening, but we're somewhere out out on the edge of it. Sometimes we feel like even asking our questions somehow distances us from God. What is God's word to the outsider? You are among the closest to God's heart, the stranger, the alien, those who know they don't have it all nailed down, the humble. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who have more questions than answers, who humbly follow the truth wherever it leads. God can handle our questioning. The faithful one will continue to guide your search. And when truth inevitably leads us to Jesus, we respond with wonder and we worship with great joy like the wise men. But there are other responses to revelation besides following the truth and worship and joy. Next, Matthew introduces us to King Herod. King Herod the Great was the predecessor of all the Herods mentioned in the Bible. He was a Gentile king appointed by Rome to rule over the Jews. Herod was a man of power, of wealth, and ambition. He was known for eliminating the opposition, murdering his own family members, and ordering the massacre of the innocents in Bethlehem. Well, how did Herod respond to the revelation of Jesus? Jesus' light revealed the darkness of Herod's heart. Quite simply, Herod was threatened by Jesus. Matthew heightens the conflict in this passage by using lots of kingship language for both Herod and Jesus. But there could only be one king, and Herod was determined to stay in charge. When Herod was disturbed, verse 3 says, All of Jerusalem had reason to be afraid. Jesus' light revealed that Herod was two faced. Though he was deeply disturbed, he put on a good face for the Magi and set his dark plan in motion. Herod's response to the revelation of Jesus was resistance. Do we dare identify with Herod? If we only see him as some sort of monster, we might feel better about ourselves, but that's too easy. Even Herod's story is our story. For most of us American, Eastsiders, we need to be reminded that we are, in fact, wealthy, powerful, and ambitious. We can make choices about our lives. We can influence the future, our own future, and even the future of others. That's simply not the case in most of our world. Most people have dramatically less choice than we do. Though Herod's heart is pretty dark, can we see where we are touched by the same temptations? Isn't our first reaction often to focus on our own goals and desires? To stay in charge without pausing to discern what God might be doing? How often do we use our wealth and influence... For our own advantage regardless of any negative impact on others how much effort do we spend presenting a good public face while hiding secret fears or ambitions or resistance well what is god's word to us when we resist or try to stay in charge it's one of the more frightening truths of the bible we reap what we sow We can choose to sow independence and reap broken relationships. We can choose to sow a good image and reap a shriveled soul. We may try to master worldly power and wealth only to discover that it has mastered us. Well, Matthew 2 shows how God deals with resistance. God is sovereign and he will accomplish his purposes God will go around those who resist, allowing them to choose darkness, but never allowing his saving intentions to be derailed. He also frustrates resistance to his plans, as he did with Herod. And ultimately, we believe that God will judge the darkness. Evil will not go unpunished. But Matthew knows there is a third response, besides worship and direct resistance. This third response is more subtle and is demonstrated by the next people in the story, the religious leaders. Who were these two groups? The chief priests were the Jewish leaders responsible for worship. They were supposed to make sure that the worship of God remained at the center of Jewish life and that worship stayed true to the heart of God. That's the chief priests. The teachers of the law were responsible for the for teaching and applying God's word among the people these two groups had been entrusted with answers both in scripture and in the wisdom of their ancestors the chief priests and the teachers of the law were the heart of the religious community how did they respond to God's revelation matthew's silence speaks volumes They didn't go see the long-awaited Messiah. They had the right answers. They knew where to go. They even told the Gentiles where the Messiah was to be born. But they didn't go themselves. We don't know why they didn't go. But the scriptures give many examples of God's people who became apathetic and eventually resistant to God. In these religious leaders, we see a group of people focused on their own obedience rather than on God's saving love. God repeatedly calls his people to love him, to worship him, to follow him. But too often, God's people, when we aren't resisting outright, we focus on having the right answers and miss the love of God. The Bible says the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus regularly called people back to the priority of loving God, not neglecting obedience, but focusing on the heart. The light of Jesus shined on these religious leaders and revealed that they had become spiritually blind, apathetic. Can we identify with these religious leaders? Many of us have been in the church a long time, faithfully attending worship, giving regularly. Does it seem that you do better with right answers than with a right attitude? How often do we get so focused on serving or obeying that we fail to simply spend time with Jesus? Have you experienced a loss of passion for God? What is God's word to religious people like this? God says, Come back. Our Heavenly Father says, I have always loved you. Everything I have is yours. Come and share my joy. When God's light reveals our lack of passion for God, we can respond with repentance. We can respond by refocusing on Christ's life of love and his sacrifice on the cross for us. And we can lean on others to help us rekindle our passion. When the Experience Music Project opened in Seattle Center, I didn't go. I just wasn't all that excited about it. But then, a friend of mine, a musician friend of mine, came to visit me in Seattle. He loves music, and he couldn't wait to go to EMP. And his passion was contagious. I was caught up in his excitement, and we both thoroughly enjoyed our day at the EMP. My experience with the Bible is like that. Many of you know I've been raised in a Christian home and came to faith quite young, so I've always known the Bible is God's word. I just wasn't that excited about it. But then I encountered Christians with a passion for Scripture. They encountered the power of the Bible to transform lives, And wanted to share it with me. They loved God and loved the scripture. And their passion rubbed off on me. Now studying the scripture fires up my faith. I love that the Bible is not airbrushed. But it's filled with very real people. With very real failings. Who encounter a God who loves them. It's a messy book that speaks to our messy lives. If you aren't all that excited about the Bible... Find other people who are. We have a lot of them here. Their passion will be contagious, and you'll open up a whole new world of spiritual growth as you explore the scriptures. So I challenge you to take a next step to apply the Bible to your life. Check out one of our small groups or our Bible studies. Maybe reflect on the sermon questions in the bulletin each week. Or the daily devotionals or other resources available in our church library. And if you're experiencing the power, the transforming power of the Bible in your life, who is God asking you to share your passion with? This morning, how do you respond to the light of Jesus from the story of the wise men? Do you need to come and offer your gift to Jesus, the gift of your searching, of your worship? God invites us to the adventure of following Jesus. Do you need to confess the darkness of some fear or ambition or a desire to stay in charge? God forgives our resistance. Do you need to rekindle the passion of your first love for Christ? God transforms our apathy into passion and joy. Century after century, the Bible has been used by the Holy Spirit to shine the light of Jesus into people's lives and transform them from the inside out. Today and this week, as you reflect on this story and on your story, let's respond by following Christ's light wherever he leads.